Hi there, welcome to the More Civil Podcast. This is a podcast for Blacks, Asians, and those who love them. I am Mo, and I am your host, ready to spark your curiosity as I take you on this adventurous ride of exploring cultures through the stories of my guests from all over the world. On this show, we get really personal, discussing salient issues that are relevant to our contemporary age and also building community around them. As our guests exercise courage and vulnerability in sharing their life's experiences, we hope that in turn you are inspired by them and that you get the courage needed to set your own stories free. Enjoy the ride and thank you so much for listening. Welcome back everyone to the podcast. My name is Mo and for those joining us for the first time, welcome, welcome. Ah, well, what a day today is for me. I'm actually very excited to talk to this particular guest of mine. And um, so here's just a quick rundown of her bio. If you're seeking meaningful change in your life, then Dagman can help you bring it to full fruition through intuitive inquiry and insightful strategies. Dagmar understands what it's like not just to feel stuck, but to overcome seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Legally blind, she started losing her sight as a teenager, but that didn't, let, that didn't stop her in becoming a successful wife, a mother, a business owner, a community leader, and I dare say a mentor to so many people. Her natural ability to really hear, interpret, and help her clients identify the root causes of their issues drove her success in all these roles and today has made her for to be a powerful partner in developing personal growth in others. She's a certified life coach and it's my pleasure today to welcome Dagmar all the way from the wonderful land of Canada to this podcast. Hi Dagmar. Hi Mo. What a pleasure to be on the podcast with you. I'm so excited. In fact, I've been excited all day. <laughs> oh my goodness. I was happy to hear that. Now, I have a theme for names. So Dagmar, I know you're from, um, well, used to be from Czech Republic. What does your name mean and how do you pronounce it well? Well, actually, Dagmar is an old Swedish name. And believe it or not, my father named me because I was the third child and... <laughs> Dagmar is actually a, a queen. And so. <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> he wanted me to be a princess, but he wanted me to be a queen. So um, I, I use that every once in a while to my advantage when I want to boss people. You know. <laughs> I can I kinda, I can see that. You know, you have that regal thing about you. So um, for those that might be kind of curious to how we met, so Dagmar is my cousin's mentor, Shola. Um, I shared Shola's story earlier this year, and we kind of did a little bit of pivot into one of her personal, um, I guess, issues. She has been diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, and that causes you to slowly lose your eyesight. And the implication of that is that she's losing her central vision. And so she told me about a program that she signed up for, where they pay you with a mentor who has gone through or is going through something you're going through, similar conditions. And Dagmar was um, paired with her. And I remember the first time she, I kind of knew about her diagnosis before, but you know how you hear things and you're like, oh, I don't know how to help. I'll support you and, you know, pray for you and all that. 
and I could just see the change in her the moment she spoke to Dagmar because she followed up with me and she seemed so more hopeful and you know very optimistic she gave me some ideas that Dagmar has shared with her she said oh I can actually think that my future is going to be bright and I want to just say thank you so much Dagmar for that well it was a real privilege for me to to mentor Shola because Shola is, is such a tenacious ambitious insightful person and yeah and so it was such a privilege that she was one of my mentees it was so easy to mentor Shala she she reminded me so many times of myself initially when I started losing my sight I wanted nothing to do with blind people I was so afraid of it and then I met a few and I was totally inspired. I thought, well, if they can become as wonderful as they are and so educated and strong and insightful, then that is is something that I wanted to aspire to. And so I wanted to leave Shola with the same sort of feeling because I know many brilliant, accomplished blind individuals. And I know Shola will be one too. It is one. She is one. She is. She gets that for me, by the way. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, shout out to Shala, my lovely cousin. So let's talk a little bit more about you. So I know from talking with you before today and just, you know, reading some of the materials you sent to me, you were not originally from Canada. You actually moved there when you were younger. So can you walk us through your migratory patterns? So initially, um, at the age of eight, Czechoslovakia went through a um, revolution called the Prague Spring Revolution. That was when the communists moved into Czechoslovakia, stopping the um, the inspiration of uh, capitalism. And my parents decided they wanted a better future for us children. So we moved to Austria, where my father was already um, capitalizing on his opportunities. And when we were in Vienna, I went to school there. I had to learn how to speak German and um, integrate into, into that classroom. I had no idea my parents were going to move there for good because they were on a path of escaping to Austria. And I was only eight. And so they were so afraid that I was going to reveal something. So my mother told me, we're just visiting dad for the weekend and that's it. And um, then when we arrived in Vienna, my mother told me we were never going to return back to Czechoslovakia. And you can imagine my whole demeanor dropped. I'll never see my friends, my family, my grandma. And that was devastating for me. But I I accepted it over time. I opened up to new friends. I learned the language. And then, you know, not too much later, my parents decided to move us to Canada because there was more opportunity there. Yeah. And so I dealt with it once. I did it again. And I'm so grateful to be here. Wow, thanks for sharing that. I mean, 
on a totally different level like i definitely can relate with that you know moving roads and so people ask me can you live anywhere in the world i'm like yeah so the moment i got uprooted from nigeria i feel like my roots are no longer stable so i don't really hold the place tightly but i imagine how much more difficult it was for you because the condition of your move wasn't even dependent on you you know from your homeland to like vienna and then finally to canada but hey i'm glad you're here and you know thanks for sharing all of that mm-hmm. yeah so let's talk a little bit about just transitioning to canada so i know you moved here when you were i think was it 12 i was eight well eight. I, turned, i was nine yeah i was eight when i went to austria nine when i moved to nine Mm-hmm. So nine-year-olds, uh, they're not quite teenagers yet, but they're not quite babies. So you had a fair, at least, understanding of the world around you. And I know in the article you had sent to me, you had some language barrier. And, you know, the kids would make fun of you, for example, for, for calling potato potato. And I don't know if I'm saying that right. But what would you say um, life was like for you as a nine-year-old adjusting to Canada? Yeah, adjusting to being something you're not used to being like speaking another language was frightening and intimidating and i first um, experienced that when we moved to austria and i had to learn how to speak german and i thought how am i going to pass my grades like like you know this seems impossible to to get a straight a and my parents expected a lot of us children and then when we moved to canada I went through the same sort of experience, well, having accomplished and succeeded in learning a new language in German, in Austria. Yeah. I then thought, okay, I will be okay in Canada. However, kids are different and I had an older sister that was in the same class with me just for the transition to learn how to speak English. And you can imagine, she was five years older than me. So she kind of instigated making fun of me when I mispronounced things. Or sometimes she set me up, you know, by telling me the meaning of the word to be something else. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So anyways, it shook up my confidence a little bit, but Mm -mm. I regained it. (laughs) Okay. Wow. So do you still speak German or has it, you know, faded away with time of underuse? Well, I do. Um, I I also still speak Czech. I communicated with my auntie for a long, long time. I would call her once a month or once a week whenever I felt inspired. And it felt so good whenever I visited Czechoslovakia or Austria people would say where are you from you you have this peculiar accent but you speak so well <laughs> wow so yeah amazing Dagmar thank you for that um I just wanted to also make a little bit of a correction I had said earlier on about retinitis pigmentosa being um an eye disorder that causes central vision loss is actually peripheral vision loss now speaking of central vision loss so I know Dagmar that's you know the condition you have can you just tell us a little bit about that because i know you started losing your eyesight slowly when you were in the eighth grade correct or was it the sixth grade it was in the sixth grade in the sixth grade yes so and well that was you know not too long after you arrived in canada i imagine that we're trying to even 
get used to the place and the language barrier and then bam this happens what was life like for you then and how did that diagnosis come about so during the summer of that year when i went from grade 5 to grade 6 i didn't notice any change and as soon as i went to stepped into back to school after the summer holidays i went and sat in the back of the class with my friends i thought you know i feel so cool being in the back of the class with them and and they invited me to and i started to feel so good because i was starting to finally fit in and um and then i noticed that i wasn't able to read the blackboard as well and the teacher space looked somewhat fuzzy to me so i went to the ophthalmologist i thought well all i need is a pair of glasses and i thought that'll solve my problem and when i realized that the ophthalmologist um discovered that i am going to lose my sight i was devastated i thought oh. how am i going to deal with that but again i survived learning how to speak german and then i survived learning how to speak english so i took it upon myself i'll figure this one too and um initially i thought all i need is to get a little bit closer to the back board and and um and my friends were very you know helpful and helped me out to a certain point so yeah it was it was difficult but i i am tenacious and i don't give up that when the way you talk about you know adjusting to language barrier issues and you're equating that with you know progressive progress, progressively losing your eyesight i mean me just looking at it there are two different things but i imagine it's the same resilience that you had in you know integrating into different systems that has really helped you and i think it just goes to show the, the kind of spirit you have amazing dagma <laughs> <laughs> so you you talk about you know um that happened in school. So one of the things um Shola told me as a time she was she finally got her, just before she got her diagnosis was her performance in school was actually dropping and it also shook her confidence because now they were looking at her like oh she's dull, she's not doing so well and she was also seated at the back of the class. The moment she moved her desk to the front of the class and got new eyeglasses, she was able to, you know, perform a lot better than before. I don't know if you also had the same experience as well. Well, Shala is born in an era where technology and um uh measures are a little bit different and then she has still had her central vision. For myself, I was given a pair of binoculars and um large print books which don't really fit with a teenager that wants to fit in. Hmm. So I some of my friends helped me out as i mentioned earlier but i i started to slide um my grades started to deteriorate however the teachers were amazed how well i did um did in in school yeah. i i was very determined to succeed and not let anybody know that i was losing my sight and i did that for a while. Mm. 
until I realized that that wasn't working for me very well. And wow, yeah. I mean, <laughs> binoculars, that's you know, talk about trying not to even want to, you know, stand out within your peers and they're giving you that like look at and i asked that question about just you know diagnosis because i imagine that for um because just in talking to you and shola i know these issues can be quite slow progressing and there are many parents who might be listening to this or even adults who might actually be experiencing this and they might tend to want to blame themselves for not being as productive as before or not you know um being able to do things as before not knowing that hey something could be going on so my next question would be this um what early interventions could have been made to at least make your transition you know easier well you know had we the technology back then that is available today would have been amazing but that wasn't the case what would have helped me is is for the school system to open up and um talk with me about the transition and some you know in some instances there were some counselors that did do just that but it was a disease at that time that wasn't as as known and as um understood and so it was very much left up to me what i noticed as the site deterioration progressed i definitely noticed that stress um uh diet taking care of myself um made a huge difference and even back then um doctors would say food is not going to reverse this site loss or or stop the degeneration but i i noticed that when i took care of myself and ate well and healthy foods that it made a world of difference and also a lot of sleep rest so yeah i would say my parents were quite um supportive in the sense that they allowed me to do whatever i i um you know um seeked i figure skated i skied i danced i did gymnastics and they never questioned whether i would be able to do that i i felt that i will be able to set my own limitations and so i was very grateful that my my parents empowered me to continue on living my life as i always did and because i had good uh, peripheral vision it wasn't an issue until much much later in my um journey with uh, sight loss i remember meeting my husband and at one point he made a comment that he he was um you know hoping he would you know he would have a deaf and blind girlfriend that wouldn't boss him around or tell him what to do and i stopped him in the store oh boy and i said as a matter of fact i am blind <laughs> <laughs> he went holy cow i would have never but, a million but i'm not deaf yet <laughs> <laughs> i can hear you <laughs> exactly uh, he said that you know that was quite the shock oh jeez <laughs> Thank you.
so uh, thanks for that reminder you know good diet uh, sleeping well and there's something you said that i think i want to just emphasize for our listeners will be as best as you can as long as it's up to you just keep those things you love doing keep doing them Absolutely. you know so you talked about figure skating and just the normalcy of it you know i imagine that if you weren't involved in those things that brought you joy it probably would have impacted your quality of life more above and beyond the condition itself so parents um guardians caregivers you know listening to this as much as you can help and support you know the people you're taking care of to keep you know living their normal lives the better and um so th- i think the name of your condition and i'm Sorry if I don't say why it was staggered um, macular degeneration. Yes, it's staggered macular dystrophy. Dystrophy, yeah. yeah. And f- from what I um, remember about it, it affects those that are younger than 20. It's hereditary and it's rare in the sense that it can affect one in um, every 10,000 people. And they might not even be aware of it until they reach a very old age. Yes. Well, yeah, I was 13 when I when I realized that I started to lose my sight. And some people do um, become aware later that um, macular degeneration, a lot of people get when they're much, much older. And, and yeah. So for those that might um, not really be aware of this, it's so it's it's caused by a deficiency in a gene called the ABCA4. And this gene allows, you know, um, affects how our body uses vitamin A. Vitamin A is a fat-soluble vitamin that the eye uses a lot. So the body uses vitamin A to make cells in the retina. The retina is a light-sensitive layer of the tissue at the back of the eye. Then this ABC4 gene, A4 gene, makes a protein to clean up the fatty material that is left over. In staggered disease or dystrophy, this gene doesn't work. So the fatty material builds up in, the ye- in yellowish clumps on the macula. And over time, this fatty material kills the light-sensitive cells and destroys the central vision. It's inherited, and that means it's passed down from parents to children. So now, um, in your case, was it what side of your family did you get it from, and um, how did it affect you know um, your parent, or was it both parents? No. So in in my situation, I was lucky. It was a recessive gene, and we didn't know anybody that was blind in in my family. And so uh, later on, we just we um, Dr. McDonald set me up for gene um, ther- uh, gene identification, and we realized that um, it came from I believe my mother's side, but. But um, because it was a recessive gene, when I decided to have my son, my husband and I spoke about it, and I felt it, it is very debilitating, and I didn't want to pass this on to a child of mine. But after we went to counseling, the uh, counselor um, inspired us that that the chances of of us passing this on to my son would be extremely low, especially since there was nothing on my husband's side. But definitely, I am, you know, I will pass this this gene on to my son. And again, he would have to marry somebody that is that, that has the exact same gene. And there are many genes that. Um, that cause inherited forms of blindness. So it would have to be this specific Stargardt's dystrophy gene that he would have to 
match with his partner in order to have um, a child that would have the same expression. And it does happen. Yeah, I mean, given the kind of luck we humans tend to have generally, but I imagine that at least with awareness, you know, you can start having that level of conversation to know beforehand and with advancement in technology as well. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about just what life has been like for you, you know, um, coping with this. Um, you're no longer 12. You've had it for quite a while now. Um, what would you say has been the biggest adjustments you've had to make? So there were many. There were many. Um, when I had my son, initially, as I said, I didn't really think that a blind person should have children. And that was a misconception that I believed when I reached out to the CNIB and I met a woman that was raised by two blind parents and she herself had two children, was married to a lawyer and is a PhD herself. I thought, well, <laughs> you know, that's a huge misconception. So I, I had successfully um, gave birth to my son, Alex, and to my surprise, it was an experience just an incredible experience. My son was so insightful about, I, I don't know, maybe God told him to be a good son to me because <laughs> he was, he was amazing. There were times where I'd be playing on, you know, I, I would take him to a playground with a bunch of mothers and I all of a sudden would realize, oh my God, I don't know where Alex is. I can't hear his voice. And I would start asking my friends to, to, to see where he is. And before oh. I knew that, Alex was tapping my knee. It's as though... Oh. <laughs> and and um, he's still very much like that. He's such a insightful, beautiful young man. I feel so proud and I'm so lucky to have the opportunity to bring him into this world. So, but, but again, I, I met many people throughout my time that would question my being a mother, um, being that I'm blind. I, I remember one lady asked me, well, you know, how's your son going to feel when he's a teenager? And he's embarrassed that his mother is blind. And that stabbed me like a knife. But I thought, well, um, then, you know, if that's the way my son felt about me, then there's something I must be doing wrong that you know, that the reason to feel embarrassed and to date his friends come up to me and say hey Dagmar or hey Miss Jameson this is Robbie or this is Lachlan and you know they're just such great kids they I've even had them come up to me and say by the way Alex is sitting over there and he doesn't want you to know that he is there but <laughs> So uh, those were just some of the small things. Um, of course, not being able to drive is was difficult because there were times where I wanted to take Alex to places and some of my friends were helpful, but it was always, I like being independent and dealing with a blinding eye disease does curb your independence. But in many ways, technology has given me 
the site that, um, that you know, that I need. And that was my first dream come, come true. Because I remember sitting in front of a mute computer, wishing and wanting that someday I'll be able to communicate and access information, communicate with people just like, you know, just like this has been advertised. I mean, there was so much talk about speech to text and talking computers and oh, yeah. and Skype, yet that wasn't a reality. I mean, I lived in the ages where cell phones were not a real thing. Mm -hmm. so, so you can imagine how much my, my life has evolved and changed and how much independence I am able to sustain because of the technology itself. I feel so empowered by the technology that we have today. Wow, thank you for that. I mean, just to add, you say you talk about your, your son being such a, you know, beautiful, thoughtful person. I think he's a reflection of you as well. Oh. You know, and, and yeah, so just wanted to mention that because you didn't say that about yourself. So <laughs> I'm here to remind you of that. And um, I mean, thanks for walking us through the difficulty. I imagine, you know, having to do some form of independence um, must have been quite challenging. Uh, uh, I think it's another humbling thing is just to see how you've you know managed to thrive despite these limitations. Um, so a clarification question for you with this. I know you talked about, you know, still having your peripheral vision. Are you still able to retain, you know, most of that or what's that like? I do have most of my peripheral vision still and I, I hope I will retain it for quite a bit longer. Um, my central vision is is getting um, dimmer. It's, it's not like I have a dark spot, but when people stand in front of me and I don't hear them speaking and they move, I... I continue to look in the direction that they stood in before and sometimes it's embarrassing because I think, oh no, they're over there. And yeah. so I tend to follow people by their voice. Yeah. Um, sometimes I fool people. I know I have um, crossed <laughs> the street or waved at people and say, hey, Richard, how are you? <laughs> how did you see me? I, oh, said, well. <laughs> I have my <laughs> But yeah, it is difficult to to adjust to not having central vision. Of course, I can't recognize faces. Yeah, and that is tough. Um, let's talk a little bit about you know public education. There's something you said earlier on, which you know actually made me feel a little bit more comfortable asking this because I won't lie to you, the fear of blindness is real for me. And, and I think it's the, it's the most for most people. And you said how, you know, the first time you heard about, you know, what you were going through, you like, you didn't want to even have anything to do with it. You weren't down for it. It wasn't something you were comfortable with. So let's talk a little bit about just how blindness is often misunderstood. And I, I'm aware, even in talking to Shola about some of these problems, that some discrimination, um, sufferers face and this discrimination can be overt or covert. And it seems there's that widespread fear of blindness. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Why do you think we fear it so much? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. And some people just don't understand. They imagine themselves in your shoes and they think, how, how is it possible she could do this? Or how is it possible she could understand this? And it's, it's really, it's, it's, it kind of debilitates your confidence. It's intimidating when people feel that way and you pick it up off their aura. I've, I've had people say to me, gee, Dagmar, you should stop skiing. Or, you know, perhaps it's not a good idea you come out hiking with us because you, you might hurt yourself and then yeah. the onus is on us to carry you down the mountain. I have hiked up really difficult hikes. I have yet wow. to break a leg or a, or a pinky. And um, I guess I can understand that you know, their fear is more that perhaps they would feel really badly if they had to leave me on the mountain. I'm sure somebody would come around to, to help. But it's, it's more that a lot of people just can't imagine what it would be like to to live with blindness. And so they put all sorts of limitations on you. However, there are some people that are very understanding. And once I realized, when I showed to people that I am comfortable with sight loss, they became comfortable around me as well. And that's when I started to reveal that I am blind and that I have difficulty because at times people would wave at me across the street or or walk past me and say hi and I would ignore them and one day my husband said to me you know why don't you share with people that you are blind and and I responded with because at times I do, especially when I trust my friends. When I was a teenager, there were certain friends that I shared the fact that I was blind. And yeah. they they were comfortable around it because they saw what I was capable of. But as soon as somebody would force these limitations on me, yeah. I was regretful that I shared it with them. However... Yeah. Over time, I, I realized that there are many other people that are more inspired with the fact that I cope so well with blindness. And now I'm not the odd duck that, that is perceived kind of strange because I didn't respond to when they waved at me or, you know, I do silly things because I simply didn't see things. Wow. And is that, in a way, just managing expectations accordingly? So that way, it's not too much is expected of you or not too little, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Now, um, along just this, and thanks for, you know, answering that. And, you know, I really, really appreciate your candid response. Let's talk about some widely held um, misconceptions and myths about blindness and how you can ed- educate people like me. So... I'm just going to throw some out, you know, and we can just talk about them in a a summarized way. So many people think that when you have blind, it means you cannot see anything at all. Um, So they think you only see darkness and nothing else. You must have a special gift. Like if you're blind, then your hearing will be super, you know, ultrasonic dolphin level. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> they think if you're blind, you must be proficient in braille. You must have a dog guide with glasses on the dog. And then people think that if you're blind, you cannot walk or hold a job. Can you please educate us on just how these myths and misconceptions couldn't be further from the truth? And those are definitely some people have those misconceptions, but I have met people that are PhDs. I've met lawyers that are totally blind, have absolutely zero sight. But the sight, again, when you know, going back to sight, there are so many. Um, well, there's probably more than 250 genotypes in just inherited forms of blindness. Mm-hmm. And um, and then there is many other reasons for blinding eye diseases like um, diabetes or glaucoma or even a trauma, maybe a, an injury or something. Yeah, exactly. And so, legally blind, I was diagnosed at the age of le- at 13. Yet I skied black diamond runs. I figure skated amongst you know top, well, really fast skaters. I I was. Um, I was, um, well, skating fast, doing jumps and spins and all sorts of things. So you can imagine, I still had tons of uh, peripheral vision to be able to cope. And not many people knew I was blind. In fact, in the skating community, I probably would have been asked to step off the ice if, if they knew how blind I was or that I was legally blind. However, only my closest friends knew. And um, I was very grateful for that, that they kept it quiet and and they supported my uniqueness about perhaps not being able to do certain things or whatever it was. And so I felt really empowered and like I fit in. and my sight deteriorated over time. I also met other blind people that are very inhibited by doing venturing out and, and doing things like riding a bicycle or yeah. Um, and perhaps they didn't have much peripheral vision. I mean, it's not just peripheral and central vision. There are people that have spots. There are people that are more short-sighted or far-sighted and, and because the disease degenerates so slowly uh-huh. when you, when the onset is at a young age that it's it's really a misconception that when you're legally blind you're definitely blind because I certainly fooled people for many years. <laughs> But I say I like how you you know you've you've had a lot of I guess good times like you sneaking up on people and just fooling them. I imagine you know, oh my gosh, like just being around you and just laughing about that. Um, thank you for that reminder. And I think the the key point here is there's no one I guess um, range or possibility for one person. Um, progressive loss of sight can differ from one person to another. So maybe just ask the individual you're with for those that are listening and have them educate you as to you know what that looks like for them some are able to have you know central vision like my cousin has or with Dagmar's case where she's able to retain her peripheral vision and for those that might be worried about the genetic susceptibility you should have that conversation with your doctor because I even imagine that like you know um, even in 
Dagmar said about, you know, there are more than 250 forms of inherited genetic um, predisposition. So talk to your doctor about that. You might not be able to get it tested ahead of time. It might be after the fact, but hey, with advances in technology, definitely have those conversations with your doctor. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the technology piece of it, and maybe even public policy. So I, I, knew, I know that you moved from Czechoslovakia to Canada, and you talked about the huge adjustment that was for you. And I imagine that at that time, your home country, you know, went through a lot of changes by, you know, when it was invaded to have that, when it was under that tight, repressive communist rule. Imagine if we had stayed back and all of that. What do you think life would have been like for you? Well, like I said, I spoke to my auntie every week and she came to Canada to visit us a few times. And she mentioned often, Dagmar, had you stayed in the Czech Republic, you would have been put into a institution. They would have taught you to become a masseuse and your life would have been very different. Whereas in Canada, people are open-minded. Um, the Disabilities Act protects us for, and, and is there to educate us and, and um, give us a level of independence that in repressive societies that would have been that wouldn't have been the case and so I feel yeah. so grateful to live in Canada I'm so grateful my parents had the courage to leave when they did and give us this opportunity to live the, the life that I am experiencing well, I mean, thank you for answering that. And I asked that because I'm originally from Nigeria and my country still has a long way in developing um, and even implementing policies such as we have in the U.S. with the American you know, Disabilities Act. But um, I'm glad you've spoken just to the merits of being a developing country. But I imagine that in some other parts of the world, try for those who have been listening from those parts of the world, it's a different kind of conversation there. Um, now, Let's talk about the, the technology bit of it. Now, adding to that long list of myths that we, we hold about, you know, blindness, a lot of us seem to think that people with visual impairment, impairments are not technology savvy. Well, contrary to this belief, technology adoption in this group is very rapid. I know you talked about, you know, um, speech to text, um, text to speech, sorry, or maybe the other way around, and even Skype and adaptive um, features on phones like aid in making life, you know, more, um, much more, I guess, easier for those that might, you know, be experiencing vision loss. Can you just tell me some of the technology you use and how you're able to use that to your advantage in navigating the world you have right now? Wow. So when I started using technology way back when, when it was the, the, the onset of the cell phone and speech to text, it started out with a program called Zoom Text, which enlarged the screen, and that was nice. that was amazing because then I could I could enlarge the the um, the letters and and I could navigate around and read um, and type. But over time, speech to text came into play, and it it the technology just became better and better and better there was a time where i couldn't access the computer as much as i do today because of all the pdf buttons like i would be able to log in but then it would say click on button 
<laughs> and I thought well, it would be nice if they told me what that button is. And so, but now it's it's just honestly, I must say that technology has given me sight. However, oh. it is a learning curve. It is another language, and there are. You can imagine. I mean, people that are eighty, they do not adapt to technology to start with. Let alone if they suddenly had an onset of blindness, and it is difficult for them to adjust. It's it's um it's it's a huge learning curve, and every time there are updates on the technology, I have to learn a little bit more. And without sight, it can be challenging. I am grateful that my son, that my husband, is an IT person, and he can help me because a lot of the times I'll, I'll say to him, "So why isn't this working?" And he'll say, "Dagmar, it's another glitch." So we'll call the bank and tell them that you are not able to type in the amount. And sure enough, they fix it again, and and so it's a it's an ongoing process. But but. Some people get discouraged by it, but that's just a fact of life. Yeah. Yeah, and I imagine that even above and beyond just you know、um, vision loss, individual preferences. I have I know people who don't adapt very well to technology, just on an individual level. Because it's like you said, it's a different language, and it seems to be changing a lot, and you know they give up easily. But I think it's encouraging to know that you know you are someone who's willing to learn, and you've taken that opportunity to learn as well. And I, I imagine it might be quite、um, advantageous or even beneficial to the listeners who might you know be experiencing this as well. That there's no age limit to learning; it's a learning curve, but it's not you know insurmountable. Absolutely. In fact, I'm starting to learn how to read Braille, and which is really difficult. But I asked the girl that was teaching me. I said, "So, what's the age limit?" And she said, "There is no age limit." I have a lady that is 70 years old, and she is now reading books on Braille, and she just started not too long ago. And I thought, "Wow, you know, when there's a will, there's a way," and that's、yes. what it comes down to. Awesome, awesome, and. Wow, I know in your essay you talked about、um, you dreamt about text to speech being a common function. We we have that now, and even you know even better ones. And then you talked about、um, autonomous、um, vehicles to amplify your independence, so people can have the self-driving cars. Hurry up, Elon Musk! Hurry up! <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Where when I found out that Shala is.、Um, yeah. Using assistive technology, I think, yay! Yes, <laughs> yes. So good to know that it helps her drive, and I'm sure she's cautious and she's scared, but it's just going to improve better and better. And、yeah. I think, I think, you know, I, 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 I'm so excited. Yes, I agree with you. Hurry up, Google. Get on. Hurry up! Yes,、uh, yes, and you know I'm very encouraged because it's an issue that I think affects a lot of people more than we know. And I'm always really I have a lot of faith in science and just technology in finding ways to make you know lives better for those around us, including us as well. So that's really good to know.、Um, now let's talk. Let's kind of summarize you know our conversation today. I had some two big ones to ask you about your involvement in 
giving back at a community level and at a research level. So I do know for a fact that you've been involved with the FFB, the Foundation Fighting Blindness, and you've also worked with as an in capacity of being on an advisory board for research, like you talked about Dr. Stell, how you know you you're part of some clinical trials and all that. Can you just talk a little bit about that and why it's very important for your voice for you, for your voices, for the voices of people like you to be amplified in research and also on the community level? So initially um I was told by a doctor that there is absolutely nothing in the near foreseeable future with research being able to cure sight and I was devastated mm. and then I met Dr. McDonald this was a few years later and he inspired me that there is so much hope and so much going on so much research that it's just a matter of time and I thought okay I want on board I'm going to do my part <laughs> so please connect me with the FFB at that time it was called the FFB today in Canada they're called Foundation no they're called um Fighting Blindness Canada in the United mm. States it's the Foundation Fighting Blindness so they differentiated themselves but in my community um where I lived my friends when i told them about the research and what's going on they said well we, we let's let's do a fundraising event and we'll help you and i thought wow i feel so grateful to have such Aww. wonderful friends that are willing to step on board and so we we ventured out and organized a, a few events the first one was called hypnovision where we hypnotized politicians and that was inspired a friend came up to me and said if you can hypnotize one of the um counselors in our neighborhood then I'll pay anything for the ticket and I okay <laughs> you do it <laughs> and so I told one of the um um the 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 um well I I knew somebody that was running for for counsel and I asked her if she would if she would do this and she laughed and she said only you would ask me something like this. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lineup of people being hypnotized by this hypnotist hip, hip, hypnotist yeah yeah hypnotist. and it was so funny it was a comedy in itself <laughs> 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 and so we raised $83,000 which What? was unbelievable and it was because of my friends I I feel so grateful. And then we ventured on to do other things like insight dining in the dark and run for sight and driving blind and each and every one of those events were successful in their own way and it was fun and um a lot of work but after some time i thought well i could be philanthropic in other ways and so i decided to to um study conflict resolution mediation and um life coaching and i thought yeah. i could i could do that which i felt very ambitious about and that's how i got involved with the CNIB and became a mentor and um but i do other counseling and inspiring people to to 
to shift their mindset and who they are being because I certainly have experienced myself shifting when I realized what my perceptions were of my own life. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Well, um, for those that might not know, the CNIB is the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. And it's a volunteer agency that assists Canadians who are blind or living with vision loss to help you know, promote the vision health for all Canadians. Well, um, that was a very robust response, Dagmar, from talking about your involvement in research and the things you've done for the FMP and now with your work in um, what you do as well. So thanks for that, I guess, response. And you're retired now. And how has retirement been like for you? I imagine that it hasn't stopped you one bit. So what are you up to these days, Dagmar? <laughs> so what am I up to? Yeah. Yes, what are you learning? What new things are you learning? Because you're always learning stuff and applying yourself and, you know, just living life to the full. So what are you learning these days? Exactly. Well, I continue to venture down my path of life coaching and coaching people, um, yeah. shifting their mindset. I've, uh, I've developed... Um, Oh, my husband would wish I would stop, but I'm learning how to play the <laughs> piano. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I bet he, he wish it was a deaf one now, huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, <Yeah>. Mr. Jameson. <laughs> That's right. And we, um, I embarked on, on being a contractor for our renovation mm. I we did a renovation on my property in in Qualicum Beach on the island and the contractor didn't turn out to be as honest and as reliable as I expected him to so when we embarked on renovating this house I said I am the contractor which <laughs> I'm convincing when I spoke with them um, the framer and the the uh, um, you know all the all the um, trades. The mm -hmm. one trade looked at me and asked me where the contractor is after <sighs> that I'm visually impaired. And How I said, they? <laughs> exactly. That's what I thought. <laughs> Certainly didn't hire him, but um, but I said, look, I can visualize things in my head and. To date, my husband tells me he never imagined things to look as good as they do. But I still have the vision to visualize decor and design, and and, and and yeah, it's it's. I think every blind person is different, and yeah. we all accomplish things differently. So that is my thing. I love design. I can visualize it, and I love it when somebody listens to me and and um accomplishes the design as i instructed them to despite the fact that they think i'm blind so <laughs> well thank you for you know just inspiring that inspiring response and for walking us through I guess what it's like for you and how you just don't want to confirm to what a lot of us think about what blindness should be like 
you've chosen a path that works for you and like your husband said it's i imagine it's even more beautiful than you know um what was perceived about you so uh kudos to you dagma thank you now finally i imagine that some of of our listeners um, listening to this might feel very stuck in in their mindsets perhaps they might have some form of vision loss or not and I know even in the previous iterations you've given, you've infused us with a lot of, I guess, um, inspirations about just your life. For those who might, you know, maybe be stuck, what kind of words of, I guess, life-giving words would you give to them? Well, when you're stuck, it's because of your past and your perceptions of where your future is going. And that is not true. I my advice would be to observe what your perception of yourself is to start with and then talk to a professional like myself to help you get unstuck to um to to re um to to change your mindset about what what you can be and it is it is in order to transform trans, um, into a new way of being is it takes some work it takes shifting your habits but to shift your your perception of who you are is very much possible so you need not stay stuck in you know the perceived uh, negativity or disappointment or challenges whatever it may be for you and i believe all of us have different challenges that hold us back or that keep us yeah. stuck yeah yeah and it does I, take somebody else to sometimes point that out i agree and i guess this response can also be applied to those who might feel a little bit different because of their identities or how differently able they are is you know find someone to talk to to kind of unclog those wheels and keep it moving we're all i guess disadvantaged in one area or the other but don't let that hold you back find how you can use that to your advantage or use something else to your advantage and keep it moving now um dagma what are some of your self-care tips like you know how do you take care of yourself well i i like to work out i like to walk a lot i like to hike i like to swim i like to stay fit as well as take care of um you know my sleeping habits i yeah. make sure i get a lot of sleep and i eat well well even yeah. you just say you know things you do if you are my life coach i probably feel so intimidated because i'm like <laughs> i don't even have any excuse you know i need to learn from her you know <laughs> well um <laughs> This were all of my questions, and I don't know if you had any final words or um, thoughts you'd like to, you know, leave with our listeners today, Dagmar. Well, I feel so thankful that you invited me on this podcast. I, when I heard Shala tell me about you, when I heard her podcast, I thought this is such a wonderful way to learn about others and to share with the rest of the world what your perceived ideals or ideas are and so thank you so much for giving all of us the opportunity to share 
what we have to share on a podcast. Oh, no, we can keep doing this. Thank you back and forth. I think really the honor is ours for you coming on the show. I've definitely learned a lot from you, especially with, you know, asking the right questions and not just think blindness is just one concept that fits everybody. And it's nothing to be afraid of. Engage in dialogue, ask questions, see how you can support. Ask the person who's going through that, how, what, what level of support would you like from me? How can I, you know, be of support to you? And it should even go both ways. If you've struck up a friendship with somebody, you find out things they like and things, you know, you like as well, you can share with them. So I think it was a very good reminder. And I forgot to ask you this last one, if you, do, if you don't mind obliging me for a while, for a little bit. At the risk of romanticizing the challenges of, you know, that comes with vision loss, what would you say have been some grace moments you've had due to your condition? Hmm. Wow. So... I guess, huh, I don't know how to answer that one. <laughs> um, well, I guess there were times where I felt, how am I going to convince someone or how am I going to achieve this? And, and then just by meditating or um, being brave enough to step forth, I realize that anything is possible I can overcome anything and when I do when I succeed people are amazed and they're very inspired so but yes there are times where it's quite intimidating and scary and and frustrating and um it's I I don't like being negative about it but when people put limitations on me it can be very debilitating and so i yeah i i um always say to people don't tell me what i can do it would be better if you ask me what i cannot do or if i need help and and i will definitely ask when i need help that is amazing i think that that could that could definitely that should definitely come up as a quote for this episode you know Don't tell me, don't define my limitations, you know, for me. Let me be the one to tell you when and how much of a help I need. Well, that was it, Dagmar. Thank you so much. On behalf of every one of us on the show, thank you so much. If there are more ways we can support you or even lend more more voice to your causes or things you're passionate about, please let us know. And I hope you do write your book someday. I think it will be uh, a worthwhile read for a lot of us. Thank you. Thank you. I will do that. (laughs) <laughs> and my regards to your husband for helping us set this up thank you so much Mr. Jameson and uh, well have a good day <laughs> thank you you take care <laughs> alright bye Dagma bye bye alright guys that was the show with Dagma don't forget to check out more episodes from the Merciful Podcast as always I remain your host Mosibo. thank you for listening and catch you guys on another episode of the Merciful Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Merciful Podcast. Well, guess what? There's plenty more where that came from. So visit our website at www.mosibyl.com. That is www.mosibyl.com, where you can find hours of other binge-worthy episodes just like this one. 
And while you're at it, please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Podbean as it encourages other awesome people like you to listen to the podcast as well. We are now officially on Podbean. It has an app. You can catch up on missed episodes and also get a notification when we have new episodes. Do you have a question for our guest, feedback on the episode, or a suggestion for a future guest? Then please get in touch with us by sending us an email at talktomo at mostable.com or connect with us via Instagram at the Morosible Podcast. Cannot wait to hear from you and thank you so much for always listening. Mm-hmm.